This message is presented to you by Pastor James Moore and New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. For more information or to donate, please visit newlifekc.com. For those who don't know, we are in the season of Lent. Lent, which originally meant spring season, is a religious tradition began by first century Christians. And they did this to commemorate the 40 days that Jesus spent fasting and being tempted by the devil right there before beginning his public ministry. And uh, the present day purpose of Lent is to prepare the believer for Easter. And there are many Christians who want to imitate the sacrifice Christ made during his time in the wilderness. They do this by fasting or giving up certain luxuries for 40 days. Incidentally, as you may know, the number 40 is used often in Scripture. Uh, 40 days spent by Moses with God on Mount Sinai. And there were 40 days and nights that Elijah spent walking to Mount Horeb. Uh, God made it rain for 40 days and 40 nights in the story of Noah. The Hebrew children, people, they walked for 40 years on the way to the Promised Land. And as I just mentioned, Lent symbolically represents Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. And I believe this season of Lent is a good opportunity for us to intentionally focus on knowing Jesus better. Now, I'm not saying that most of us don't already believe in Jesus, believe that who he says he is is who he was. Otherwise, I doubt if we'd be in church right now. But he wants more than that. He wants a true relationship. He wants us to really know him and be known by him. And sadly, some of us have really not put much effort into getting to truly know and understand Jesus. It's kind of like first impressions. I imagine most of us have heard the expression, you only get one chance to make a first impression. And this is true. You may have also heard, first impressions are lasting impressions. But this is not necessarily true. Did you know that it takes less than one-tenth of a second to form an assessment of someone's face? It's true. The first impression, man, it just communicates all kinds of important characteristics. For instance, people often make snap judgments about how competent a politician is based on his appearance. And those snap judgments often lead to success. He has an election or not success. Even when the audience has no idea who the guy is. By the way, there are three universal qualities that in people get, they infer from a face. You know what they are? It's attractiveness, yeah, trustworthiness, and dominance. Now, these impressions we make in a split second, they're not random because I'm, when they surveyed these people, almost everybody had the same things. They shared the same. But please note, just because these people have these random perceptions doesn't make them correct. Sometimes in human relationships, the more we know a person, the more we love them. On the other hand, <laughs> sometimes the more we know a person, the more we see their weaknesses and their failures and their faults, and their shams, and their shames. The more we know Jesus, however, the more we love him, the greater he becomes. 
So in an effort to get to know Jesus better, I think it would benefit us to listen to what Jesus says about himself in our text from the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John. So I advise you to follow along as I read. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. He said, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am, Jesus said, the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for his sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He'll abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. He isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money. Doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. So no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to, and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. Wow. These are some great claims made by Jesus about himself. I am the good shepherd, he said. But he said a whole lot more than that. How about the thing, all that came before me are as thieves and robbers. And by the way, these are not just some isolated things that Jesus said about himself. He made some other outrageous claims. He said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the door. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, if Jesus were just a mere man, we could just dismiss him as an egomaniac. But the more we know him, the longer we look at him, the more convinced we are that this is actually God's picture of himself. So realizing this, I'd like to look at Jesus this morning in light of his claim of being the good shepherd. I want us to look long and look hard. Now, if there's a person hearing me today that does not know him enough, does not love him enough to commit their lives to him, let's pray that love will be kindled in their lives this morning. And for us who already know him and love him, let's pray that a new kind of love will stir 
our souls. So we might go from this place today with a willingness to follow the good shepherd wherever he leads. Amen? You're a really reserved crowd, I can tell you. There we go. Okay, good. Thank you. That's, okay, calm down. <laughs> okay. Well, my guide for this long and hard look at Jesus is really quite simple. I'm going to look at a picture of the shepherd. I want to then look at the priorities of the shepherd and finally the power of the shepherd, okay? Picture, priorities, and power of the shepherd. So first, a picture of the shepherd. Have you ever seen a shepherd in person? I mean, a lone shepherd walking with his sheep, following after him, being, the sheep being completely dependent on him. See, this is a picture we see of God in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament. The shepherd willing to lay down his life for his sheep, willing to spend himself until he finds a pasture for his sheep. It, it makes it, the words of the 23rd Psalm come alive. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Well, because the Lord is my shepherd. And you remember the word from Psalm 95? He is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. It's no wonder that when the prophet Isaiah gave an image of who the promised Messiah would be, he talked about the Messiah in terms of a shepherd. He said he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom like a shepherd. He will gently guide the young. Then when you get to the New Testament, the picture becomes even more pronounced as you hear Jesus say. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. And loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And Jesus again said, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And then the beautiful benediction in the letter to the Hebrews. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. So, there's the picture. Jesus, the shepherd, who will spend himself until he finds that one straying sheep. Jesus is a shepherd who will have pity upon his people because they are as sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus looks at us. He calls us his disciples. He calls us his own little flock. He's the shepherd of the souls of men. The one who's been brought back from the dead after laying down his life for us. That's the picture. So let's, let's look, look at the priorities of the shepherd. The priorities, you know, you know here's the cool, the first priority of the shepherd is to know his sheep. To listen, li listen to, to what Jesus says. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Now to get the full impact of this claim, there's a couple of things we need to know about sheep and shepherds in ancient Palestine. One is this. There were two kinds of sheepfolds in those days. There was the communal sheepfold. That's where it was in the village. It was owned by the shepherds. They would all bring their sheep in after a day of grazing in the field. And all the shepherds would deposit all the sheep in the communal sheepfold. It was presided over by a doorkeeper, had the key to the door, and only the shepherds who were known by the doorkeeper could get in. 
Okay? So that's one, the communal. Then there's another kind of sheepfold. These are way out in the wilderness. That's where the shepherds would, they were away for an entire season sometimes, not able to get back to the village for a week after week. And so at night they would keep their sheep in these little stone enclosures on the hillside. Okay. Anyway, when Jesus is talking about knowing his sheep, we don't think about the communal sheepfold. Because at the end of the day, close of the day, I said all the, all the shepherd, the shepherd brought all the sheep into the one place. The shepherds, I mean, some, listen, some of these were small flocks. Some of them were large flocks. They would all come together there in the sheepfold. And then in the morning, the shepherd would come back. So how in the world do you get your own sheep when all the sheep are mixed up together? I mean, sheep look like sheep, right? They all look alike. I mean, don't they? That's the way they do to me. So anyway, the second thing we need to know. So the first thing, there was two kinds of sheep. The second thing we need to know about the sheep and shepherds is this. Each shepherd named his sheep. Named them. Every sheep had a name. And the sheep knew the voice of the shepherd. And therefore, he simply had to call them by name, and his own sheep would come out of that sheepfold and follow him to the pasture. Can, can you grasp how important this is for us? Christ is the good shepherd. And as the good shepherd, Christ knows me. Say it to yourself. Christ, the good shepherd, knows my name. Say it again. Christ, the good shepherd, knows my name. How? Now, listen, if we could appropriate this, I mean, if we could really claim it as a tr truth in our, the very depth of our being, it would radically transform our lives. It would change us. Just think what it would do for our praying. Hey, do you come hesitantly to prayer? You ever not sure if your prayers got through? Or you wonder how long it's going to take for God to respond if you do connect? When you pray, do you think you somehow have to make a case? Uh, you know, make a case, you know, that, you know, with God that you have to convince him that you have a right to do what you're doing or, or convince him, you know, or you want to find out whether you even have the privilege of asking him what you're asking him to do. You ever, you ever think like that? Well, if you do, I want you to hear me. And I want you to take heart. Because Christ, the good shepherd, he knows you by name. You don't have to come hesitantly into his presence. You don't have to hang back in prayer. You can come boldly before the throne of praise. You know why? Because Christ knows your name. He knows you. One of his priorities is knowing you. Man, this will change your praying if you really embrace this. And think to what, what, what it would do for this, probably the most common problems we have, one of the most problems, common anyway, and that's this, the problem of insecurity. I know, I, I, I don't think there's any problem that negatively affects more people than the feeling of insecurity. But think what would happen to our insecurities if we really believed that Christ knows us by name.
Man, insecurity, it can ravage your life. And it begins usually very early, usually at the beginning of adolescence. Young people, they become victims of a crowd mentality. They often get involved with drugs, sex, alcohol, eating disorders. Why? Because they're insecure. Because they have a need to belong. And what begins in adolescence sometimes becomes more evident as we get older. I've known girls who developed slowly as teenagers, and so they weren't very attractive during their high school years. They were overlooked by the boys. They were made fun of by the girls. And I've seen these ugly ducklings blossom into beautiful, amazing women who get married and are loved and accepted and affirmed by their husbands and their children, and yet they still have occasions when they experience deep depression because of extreme insecurity. Man, I see it in all sorts of ways. Of the men I've counseled, the ones who are going through a midlife crisis or making a career change or uh, having family problems, I'd estimate that at least half of them struggle with insecurity. And I'm convinced that continuing insecurity in our lives is due to a lack of assurance that we are accepted by God. That's the real root of it. We're really not in touch, not in the depths of our being, with the fact that God accepts us. He knows our name. We, now we may accept this in our heads, but we haven't accepted it with our hearts. And I believe if we could ever truly accept that Christ knows us and calls us by name, we can overcome our insecurity. The truth is, insecurity, if you want to write something down, this is good. Insecurity is the result of basing our security on something that can be taken from us. Just think about it, whatever it is. Because you see, if you base your security on your job, you can lose your job. Base it on your spouse, they could leave. You can base it on anything you want to, but you base it on the Lord. Cannot be taken from you. So, not only though is knowing his own a priority for the Good Shepherd, nurturing his own is also a priority. In fact, the shepherd spends his life nurturing his sheep. He plods the stark, barren land until he finds a pasture where. There's grass that his sheep will feed on. It's, he, he's kind of like the, the teenager who sent his girlfriend her first orchid. And along with the orchid, there was this note, with all my love and most of my allowance. <laughs> and as the good shepherd Jesus says to us, he says, with all my love and all my resources. And knowing this, you as a Christian can make at least two bold claims. And one is, Christ knows me and he loves me just as I am. 
But that's not all, nor is that enough. No, beyond loving me, Christ also nurtures me. The living, loving Jesus Christ not only sees me as I am and not only grants me loving forgiveness, he also releases me from what makes me unfree. He changes me. In him, we're not only reborn, <laughs> we, we grow. Oh, man, hear me this morning. It's not enough to experience the cleansing of Good Friday. We need to know the power of Pentecost. It's not enough for the prodigal son in Jesus' parable to leave the pigs. The pigs had not yet left him. Back home, safe in his father's house, he still had bad habits he had to master. He still had new attitudes he needed to cultivate. The disciples sitting expectantly in the upper room, long after Jesus had departed, from their sight. They still knew that Jesus loved them, yet they knew they didn't have the power to change the world. They needed to grow in his power if they were to heal the sick and raise the dead, cast out the demonic and and reconcile the hostile people. They needed that. It was written to the church, by the way, later. Dear friends, now we are children of God. No, dear friends, now we are children. That is acceptance and security. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now that is expectancy. That is growth. What I'm saying is this. If we will humble ourselves, call upon the Lord, he will come as the good shepherd. He will nurture us, and he will change us. We're talking about the priorities of the shepherd. To know his own, to nurture his own. And there's a third priority, to protect his own. Now, I don't think there can be a more hope-inspiring, courage-providing, strength-giving word than what Jesus speaks in verse 15 of our text, where he says, I sacrifice my life for the sheep. One of the highest priorities of the shepherd is to protect the sheep. So let me ask you, what do you most fear this morning? I mean, what are the real fears in your life? Is it failure? The uncertainty of the past couple of years has caused many people to be almost incapable of functioning because of their fear of failing. Or maybe your fear is death. We're just coming out of this worldwide pandemic where we were all reminded that death might be closer than we thought. And it frightened us. The proof was the obsession with masks and vaccinations and staying away from one another. Or what about the fear that grip people when they get older? Man, there are lots of reasons why people are afraid of old age. Some people like to say, age is just a number. And they're right. <laughs> Smaller numbers means you're younger. Bigger numbers mean you're older. I mean, <laughs> duh. <laughs> oh, I understand that your frame of mind can help determine your quality of life. Sure. But that doesn't change the number of years you've been on the earth. Throughout history, there have been many people who tried to cheat death. And you know what? Every one of them failed. 
No one's getting out of here alive. Your physical body is going to wear out. Do you know that? Do you know you can exercise and diet and you can tuck and you can replace and you can eject and you can color and you can paint. And you can think positively. You can even live in a bubble. <laughs> and your body will eventually quit. You may say, well, pastor, you're somebody who won't have to worry about that for a long time. I mean, you may be 73, but your mother's still going at 103. You're probably going to last another 30 years, pastor. Well, maybe. But my father died at 48. Oh. Turns out I've already lived 25 years longer than my dad did. But no matter how I want to think about it, <laughs> death's coming. And when people think of that, man, fear can grip them. Or maybe you're not afraid of death. You're just only afraid of old age. There's a real fear that can grip people as they get older. Will I have enough economic resources to see me through retirement? Um, Will my children continue to love and care for me and minister to me in my twilight years? Will I be forced to live the final years of my life in a less than desirable, ugly, dirty nursing facility somewhere? Do you fear it? Or maybe, maybe you fear broken relationships. I mean, the marriage just isn't what you'd like it to be. Because you both have been casual, even calloused about it. And now the hurt and the pain and the sorrow has built up. It's accumulated. And you're just not sure the marriage is going to last. You fear broken relationships. And maybe the most common fear that's present here today would be the fear parents have in relation to their children. We fear what's going to happen to our kids. The lifestyles that are present in our culture causes a parent to fear what kind of lifestyle his or her child is going to choose. Who are they going to marry? What vocation are they going to select? Are they really going to be able to make it? And so we fear. And there's lots of other kinds of fears. There's fear of temptation because of sexual lust. There's fear that... We'll compromise in business because of all the pressures on us or fear that we'll lose our integrity because of all the demands that are put on us. And so I'm bringing good news today. The good shepherd will lay down his life for you. He will protect you from whatever the fear is that you have. Oh, I know we know this in our head, but we have to accept it with our heart. So, the priorities of the shepherd are, know us, nurture us, protect us. And that, this leads us to the final word, the power of the shepherd. I just want to say a brief word about this. It's captured in a beautiful way there in verses 17 and 18 of our text in John 10. The reason my father loves me, Jesus is speaking, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. 
I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Now, as I've already said, this is a season of Lent. The season when we concentrate on the cross. We concentrate on the passion, the suffering, the death of Jesus Christ. The, but the gospel of the cross is incomplete. Just note, without this understanding, it's just not complete. Christ's death was absolutely self-determined. He died by choice. He had the power to take up his life, or he had the power to lay it down. Re remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he said to his disciples, don't you realize I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly? And then he also said, not my will, but yours be done. So yes, there's something different about the death of Jesus. This is more than the sacrifice of a shepherd laying down his life for sheep. It's more than the self-giving of a person who inspires to live a noble life. Uh, Jesus didn't lose his life. He gave it. He was not killed. He chose to die. As powerful as Rome was, and as firmly in control of the religious establishment that Israel was, these powers were not what thrust Christ upon the cross. Jesus took the cross voluntarily for us. Now listen, don't, don't just brush past this. Let this truth burrow its way into your soul. The good shepherd had the power to take up his life or lay it down, and he chose, he chose to lay it down on the cross. He chose to pour out every drop, every last drop of blood. He chose to sweat in pain until there was no more water of life in him. And he chose all that for you and for me. There was a true story in the newspaper several years ago about an accident on a construction site. It turns out, according to this news story, there was a man and his son working together on the site. And the father suddenly saw that the son, who was working down in this excavated area, was about to become the victim of a landslide. The father immediately jumped into the hole, threw himself he threw his son on the ground and then covered the son up with his own body. And when the bodies were unearthed, it turned out that the father had died from a blow on his head. But the son was still alive because the father's body had covered him from the dirt and he could still breathe. The good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. And friends, Jesus proved to be the good shepherd when he gave his life on the cross. He proved to be the Son of God, the Savior of the world, by rising from the dead. And now that same Jesus, <laughs> the, you know, the good shepherd, he is calling us into the sheepfold.
And if we will listen and then follow him, he will know us and we will know him. And not only will he know us, he promises to nurture us and protect us as we live our earthly lives. And finally, he will save us from sin so we can spend eternity with him. Will you bow your heads? Let me ask, does Jesus, the good shepherd, does he know you? Do, do you know him? Are you following him? And if so, you're, you know him, you're following him. If, if that's true, will you indicate that just by lifting your hand just up and down so I can see it? Thank you. Thank you. you can, as soon as I say it, you can put it down. Thank you. Now, if you weren't able to raise your hand just now because you're not actively following Christ, and you know that, Will you be honest enough to lift your hand? I, I'm not, I'm not going to embarrass you, because just so I can see it. As soon as I see it, thank you. As soon as I see it, you can put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. So here's the message God asked me to bring today. The good shepherd, Jesus Christ, is calling you. And if you will simply surrender your will and follow him, he will be your shepherd. He will be your savior. Will you stand with me? Let's pray this prayer together. We're going to put up here. Let's, let's pray this together. Will you do that? Jesus, thank you for proving you know me by calling my name. I hear you, Lord, and declare that you are not only the good shepherd, you are my good shepherd. Lead me, Lord, and I will follow. Amen. Now just lift one hand. We do that. And I want us to dismiss this morning by reading the 23rd Psalm as our declaration of the relationship we now have with the Good Shepherd. Let's, let's read together. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the dark valley of death, I won't be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You welcome me as a guest, anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. 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 Yes, give the Lord a hand of praise. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.